Hello, this is HiFia Podcast, investigation into the bright future from the perspective of doers, makers, and thinkers. I'm your host, Iggy, and today we have with us serial social entrepreneur with more than 10 years of experience catalyzing mission-driven startup organizations in the fields of human rights and environmental protection, semi-finalist in IBM Watson's AIX Prize, CEO and co-founder of Clean Robotics, Charles Ihab. Hello, Charles. Hi, Charles. Charles Yap, by the way. Charles Yap. I'm so sorry. I was. I was. No worries. It's uh, it's a, it's it's a weird name. So yeah, <laughs> no worries. I'm sorry, man. How are you doing? How, what keeps you busy these days? Oh, uh, I guess uh, just working on clean robotics keeps me keeps me really busy. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta ask. U.S. election yeah. right now is happening. I'm in Europe. You're in mm. states. D is there anything Europeans need to know? Or <laughs> uh, I just keep watching it. I mean, it's turning into a, a real, a real mess, and we'll we'll see how how the chips land. But it's uh, really, really interesting times from a democratic electoral process point of view. Yeah, uh, it's something that we're watching closely because. Uh, you know, uh, we're optimistic that a uh, Biden administration would be much more proactive from a climate change and solid waste management point of view. Um, so it, it could be it could be really helpful for the type of mission and the impact that we're trying to achieve. Absolutely. Well, thanks. Yeah. Although, although um, interestingly, uh, the Trump administration has uh, made significant strides in uh, organic waste management, which is, you know, might be surprising to some. Wow. I didn't know that. Uh, you're running clean robotics. Mm -hmm. Your product is Trashbot. I know exactly what it is, but would you mind sharing the origin story behind the birth of the company? I know people have asked you this many times, millions of times. You've, you've probably got it all like laid it out, but please, can you share it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Trashbot is a system that uses artificial intelligence, robotics, and computer vision to detect waste as you throw it away. And it robotically separates landfill from recycling, from compost, uh, more accurately than the public. Um, and the idea was really born out of frustration. Um, if you've ever, you know, if you've ever gone to like a Whole Foods, for example, I'm not picking on Whole Foods, but it's just something that people can relate to. Uh, and you've eaten something at the hot bar prior to COVID, right? Uh, and then you go to throw your your waste away, you're kind of confronted with an array of waste receptacles. Uh, and I always say you need a PhD to understand this, to understand the signage because it's just <laughs> so confusing. Uh, and, you know, to this day, it still confuses me. I'm not sure that I'm doing things correctly. Uh, so we got to thinking, you know, maybe we can build a robot that does this more effectively than than the public. Uh, we looked at the diminishing cost of sensors and robotic components and uh, AI algorithms were becoming more accessible. Uh, and so we started looking at, you know, how we could actually build this and we'll kind of uh, really clinch the deal for us in terms of like diving headfirst is uh, kind of two things. Number one, we looked at the state of the recycling industry and saw that it's in dire circumstances because people don't put things in the correct place. And uh, normal waste receptacles are surprisingly expensive. They're just shiny metal tubes that are outlandishly expensive. And kind of at those prices, uh, we decided that, uh, or we knew that we could build a robot that was cost competitive and, and much more valuable from a, from a ROI and operational point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you've said that recycling industry is in dire need of innovation. Uh, you probably have a pretty well overview on the whole waste management industry. Can you tell me where the most innovation is happening right now in that industry? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great question. Where is the most innovation happening? I think most innovation, uh, not surprisingly, is taking place um, at recycling plants. Uh, actually, and part of that is because uh, the because recycling plant managers think that that's where like innovation should happen, and that's kind of where like the money tends to flow to. Um, I think the most interesting innovation is actually happening outside of recycling plants. Um, so there's kind of like two things happening, right? There's people that say, 
you know, we need to be dealing with waste at the industrial level. And like the industrial level is the recycling plant. And because that's what they understand, they're funneling money in that direction. But there's a whole world of um, opportunity in what I call like the waste stack. Um, anytime waste changes hands or changes receptacles. So beginning where we are, right, when people throw something away, uh, there's a lot of value there. And then I think there's value to be had at every stage after that, up to the recycling plant, and then also after the recycling plant. Uh, and there's opportunities for innovation there using, again, robotics, artificial intelligence, computer vision systems, uh, novel sensor systems, as well as uh, data collection, aggregation, and analytics. Um, and I think there's, there's value to be had all uh, and it's it's a space that is um, uh, the market is is just starting to to catch up and realize that there's a lot of opportunity and, and insight and knowledge to be gained there and value to be created. Mm -hmm. So, uh, do you have the future development of clean robotics and and the trash bot itself? Do you know exactly where you're heading right now, or are you still? Uh, a spectator, uh, seeing how the industry is unraveling, how the you know AI is uh, is a new thing, and how people are just grasping the concept of AI. Do you have a concrete idea where you're heading right now, or is it still under evaluation? Yeah, so I think we have a really clear idea of where we want to head um, uh, with the Trashbot as a product line. So we we went to market initially with Trashbot Standard which separates into landfill and recycling and has kind of some product features here, uh, has dual sensing chambers and it's designed for high traffic places. Uh, and this year we released Trashbot Slim, which is designed for lower traffic places, maybe like an office or a music venue. Uh, and then Trashbot Zero, which we designed for the global marketplace, which can separate into three or four streams, depending on what the local requirements are. Uh, and so we're, we're very focused right now on commercializing that. Uh, we see opportunities with uh, consumers as well and new construction. So we're um, also kind of rolling that into our strategic plan. Uh, and then there's there's a whole wealth of opportunity associated with the data that we're collecting um, at the point of disposal in public places, uh, as well as at, at the consumer level, you know, in, in households, uh, so to speak. Uh, apart from that, there's a number of other kind of opportunities in, again, like the, the waste stack uh, or the waste chain. Uh, and we're I'm not going to tell you what our priorities are, but uh, I, I will tell you that that we're, we're fairly zeroed in and uh, there's a lot of really great folks out there doing innovative, fantastic stuff. Uh, and uh, we've, we've narrowed in on, on two sectors that, you know, are still uh, kind of blue sky uh, and no one's really tried to, to venture into yet. Mm -hmm. uh You've mentioned a few times about, you know, the sensors, uh, AI, and I, I totally get the priorities are to be kept secret at this point. But <laughs> Sorry I, about that. No problem. Uh, when I was watching a few videos uh, where you've been speaking about uh, AI, I remember I asked you this already uh, about the difficulties to explain AI to, to people. Uh, do you still struggle with that? Do you feel like AI is, is 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 badly you know marketed like, and that's that's the first part of the question. You can you can go ahead, but like, what's mm, the state sure. of AI? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of depends on the audience, right? Um, and it depends how much how deep they want to go into it. Typically, if it's like a, a sales call, people want to know that it works, and they just want a, a peek under the hood, kind of like some accessible explanation. Um, but if you're if you're talking with someone that really wants to fully understand AI and uh, its potential, then yeah, it can get complicated, uh, especially if they're maybe if they have limited expertise, because there's there's a lot of misinformation going around. Um, it's it's kind of hard to tease out the difference between. Uh, AI, uh, uh, machine learning, statistics, uh, and then there's a whole world of media and science fiction and hype and fear mongering that kind of rolls into the conversation. Uh, so yeah, it can be a challenge. It, mm -hmm. it can definitely be a challenge. Uh, well, just just to follow up on the question, uh, the AI and its role in climate change and climate action. Because that, mm -hmm. I think that's that's the upcoming discussion. Once we start to understand AI more and understand data, do you see the role of AI? Let's say we have a 
maybe not a conscious AI, but very advanced AI. Mm -hmm. Do you think, do you see that happening in the near future where AI yeah, I, has more responsibilities? Like, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. So, I mean, I, I think we, we have to consider the state of the art with AI and, uh, you know, one of the confounding kind of factors is that people think of AI and they think of like a movie, you know, like, a like a Skynet or, uh, uh, some other really generalized hyper-intelligent AI that can do all kinds of scary stuff or really cool things. Uh, but the state of AI today is really uh, a tool, right? It's it's something that is uh, very limited in its capacity to think for itself or like to kind of color outside the boxes. And it really just augments human capabilities. Um, and so the state of it today is something that I think could be really powerful in helping confront climate change um, from, a, from the point of view where it can identify patterns uh, and low-hanging fruit and accessible opportunities to mitigate the impacts of climate change, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, mining satellite imagery or uh, sensor data around the world to, to say, this is where the most pollution is happening, or these are locations most vulnerable to rising sea levels, or these are sectors that when the next superstorm hits are going to be, you know, raised and leveled. Uh, and so from that point of view, it can really be a powerful tool to help humanity address the, the most severe impacts of climate change and also position uh, uh, state actors, non-state actors and, and NGOs to to uh, take proactive measures to, again, mitigate the, the growing threats uh, and the causes of climate change as well. And it's something that we're actually seeing. So for example, um, there is a, a company, I, I can't pronounce the name, uh, out of China that puts sensors on top of taxis. And the sensors are sampling uh, air quality uh, around cities, right? And they're giving a dynamic live stream view of air quality around cities in China. Uh, so this has like a number of implications, right? You can um, manage the health, the respiratory health of the population, which is, you know, super important during a, uh, a pandemic like COVID that impacts lungs. Uh, and even outside of the pandemic, it's still really important. It also allows uh, government agencies to regulate the polluters in those areas, right? So if now you're able to map the hotspots, you can say, okay, which factories are close by, right? You can tell these factories that you guys got to shut down until the air clears up or you have to find a way to regulate your emissions in a way that's that's uh, more effective. Uh, and now you have a dynamic way powered by AI and data and analytics to, to again, confront the, the causes of climate change. It's interesting that, you know, such a granular, granular level of detail when it comes to data. I, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And so this is, this is kind of like one of the, one of the revolutionary things about the commoditization of uh, sensors uh, and small computers like, Raspberry Pis or any kind of circuit board, right? Uh, this sort of thing was impossible, you know, 30 years ago, right? Because it was just too expensive to do. Uh, but now they're commodities. You can buy really cheap components, really cheap sensors that are fairly reliable. Uh, and now you can do incredibly powerful things to, to confront modern challenges. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me ask you this. What's your personal perspective on climate change, climate action, knowing that from a very technical perspective right now? What do you think about like this entire conversation? Yeah, um, candidly, I think we're having the wrong conversation around climate change. Um, the conversation, um, and I think part of this comes from uh, a, a conservative temperament among scientists to not want to be alarmist or be seen as you know, uh, not being fully rigorous in their thought. Uh, but the science is clear that at this point, climate change is, is not reversible. And we're kind of past the point of no return, depending on, you know, what how you're drawing the lines. Uh, what the conversation we need to be having is about mitigating the most extreme impacts and the most extreme, most extreme uh, climate change models is the conversation we need to be having. We also need to be having conversations about um, how populations uh, and cities are going to need to adapt and how people are going to, how they need to move and how structural, uh, how construction needs to, to shift uh, around around these, these really foreseeable uh, climate events, rising sea levels, 
forest fires, superstorms, uh, I think even, and, and uh, you know, new infectious diseases that travel and spread in a way that is you, not, not, not unprecedented, but it's going to be happening more often in new and surprising ways because animals are going to be moving in, in new and surprising ways that they didn't used to before. And so are people. Uh, and so we really need to be having conversations around that. Like, it's not whether climate change is going to happen, not if climate change is happening. Climate change is happening, and now we have to take steps to mitigate the most damaging effects of those changes. Mm -hmm. Do you think, is there anything we can be hopeful for when it comes to climate change? I know, I know this is a polarizing topic because people can be either very negative about climate change or very positive about climate change. Uh, do you see that as a part of solution to make the future more of something that we are really looking forward to? Something that is filled with new tech, such as Trashbot, but also with new relation to nature. Uh, do you see a space for being optimistic about the future? Yeah, absolutely. So anytime there is a, a uh, massive social change or massive environmental change or massive um, uh, uh, upheaval, uh, there is an opportunity for something good to come out of it. There's going to be a lot of losses, but there's an opportunity for really good things uh, to come out of it. Uh, and so I'm encouraged by uh, other social entrepreneurs that are looking at these uh, changes uh, locally, and they're trying to figure out ways to make uh, life better for for their families and for their neighbors and their communities and their countries and and they're and they're being more thoughtful about it. Uh, you know, community farms is is a community urban farms, I should say, is kind of a movement that is really encouraging. Um, local efforts to to sequester carbon um, in ways that are thoughtful and innovative, using kind of the natural world. Um, embedded and integrated with like urban environments is, is really encouraging uh, embedding that type of thought and mindset into uh, manufacturing uh, and other aspects of uh, other other vectors for, for carbon emissions uh, is also really encouraging so I, I do see a lot of hope uh, and it's the kind of thing that you know humans created the problem humans are going to be the solution uh, they have to be and i don't think we really have a choice about it and uh you know people are becoming increasingly cognizant of that so it, it does make me hopeful mm -hmm. but so with that hope uh we have to be really clear-eyed about it like it's it's a serious thing so it's being hopeful is not enough we, we have to be aggressive and, and active and and really be uh, deliberate about moving the ball forward mm -hmm. do you think like young people are essentially uh a key to it too. Uh, the people who are right now 10, 12, 13, 14, they are going to be facing the future uh, that, you know, is essentially about reversing what is happening right now. Uh, what do you think is the best way to talk with young people about this? The, you know, obviously they know something about the topic, but those are young people, the attention span. How can you make climate change, climate reality, and what, like, how can you make this you know equally interesting as the latest entertainment latest netflix show yeah i don't know that i'm the best person to ask that <laughs> uh i mean because i mean my, i always default to realism and uh my wife will tell me often that i'm perhaps a, a little too direct with my kids i have a seven-year-old and, and a three-year-old um and so i'll just tell you how i talk to them about it um so i don't know if I would recommend talking with every child <laughs> in that particular way. Uh, but I mean, the, the reality is, is that uh, if we were to just stop all carbon emissions today, right, the damage that has already happened is not reversible in a time frame that is meaningful for anyone presently alive. I mean, we're talking like a thousand years or something is what it would take for, for the climate to naturally reverse itself. So it's not practical. Um, what we, what we have to talk about and the challenge for the, the next generation is mitigating its impact and developing new processes to maintain a productive society as it stands today. Um, or reimagining society in a way that is maybe less uh, 
resource intensive. Uh, and so these are these are the kind of the challenges. The, they're fundamentally challenges of imagination. And I think young people are uniquely equipped for that because they don't have the baggage of experience and uh, you know bad habits uh, to kind of hold them down. And so that's that's kind of how I talk to my kids about it. You know, this is how we're doing things now. Uh, you know, we had to buy this plastic packaging for I don't know, milk or whatever. You know, how would you do it differently, right? Uh, how are some innovators out there doing doing it differently? How would you confront this challenge to make it scalable, right? And it's all about scalability and replicability. And these are concepts that maybe prior generations um, didn't think about as actively. Um, and I think kind of startup culture and the almost the evangelization of a Silicon Valley mindset where we think about scaling everything is you know, a double-edged sword because it's maybe part of the problem, but it's also part of the solution. Because when we reimagine society, um, we have to think about replicability and scalability. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I talk to my kids about it. I don't know that they get wow. it. Wow, seven and three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I go easy on the three-year-old. The seven-year-old actually, kids understand more than you think um, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you take the time. Uh, you've mentioned reimagining society. Um, you're a uh social entrepreneur not a classical one and there is a set of struggles i can imagine with being a social entrepreneur can you touch a little bit upon this you're talking about different way society could exist and people like you 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 take under when you whenever you build a business you take under consideration something more than just the profit right yeah yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, there, you're right. There, there are unique challenges associated with that. Uh, you know, for example, we, you know, I'm trying to build a uh, venture class business that is eminently scalable because I think the, the problem is the problem warrants it. Solid waste warrants uh, a scalable solution uh, globally. Uh, and one of the challenges that we run into when we talk with, for example, like a venture capitalist is that they think that uh, having an environmental motive and a social motive is fundamentally at odds with the profit motive and that you can't um, you know, be trying to, to make a profit while you're also concerned about these other things. And I fundamentally disagree with that perspective, but I think business can be a, a powerful force for good if you're deliberate about it, right? And it really just means uh, having a, a business model that fully aligns with that mission. And I think we've been able to do that. Um, so that's that's one challenge. The other challenge is, is that uh, you know you have to you have to always be counting and measuring your impact. And that's something that uh, a lot of folks probably don't think about. They're really just looking at the bottom line. Uh, but we're also you know, uh, because we're, we're environmentally motivated and socially motivated, we're always trying to calculate the impact, which takes a little bit of extra effort. Uh, but I think ultimately it helps the business side, the profit side, because if you're implementing a technology like ours, you want to know what the impact is because you have your own corporate sustainability goals. You have your own ESG goals and you have your own metrics around sustainability that you want to showcase to your stakeholders, whether that's staff or customers or partners, uh, they all want to know that you're doing your part uh, for the environment. So we have to be cognizant of that and make sure that we're tracking the right things and reporting the right things on an ongoing basis. Um, and then kind of the the last portion is uh, we also want to make sure that we're not doing any harm, right? So uh, we want to look at, for example, if we, if we make one trash pot, right, are we going to abate uh, enough materials and carbon over the life of that unit to justify the creation of that that thing. So we're always looking at that balance between creation, profit, and then you know, make sure making sure that we're doing no harm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this: uh, Do you see climate solutions as business opportunities for people who are looking right now, like social uh, social? like entrepreneurial ideas as a part of the climate change do you think marketing climate change as business opportunities is a, is a good idea or is do you think so or yeah 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 so i think actually from a entrepreneurial point of view the and i hate to phrase it this way but the climate crisis is uh a enormous multi-generate multiple multiple generational uh, business opportunity because the upheaval is going to upend 
so many industries and create so much risk uh, for traditional industries and new industries uh, that just the mitigation of that is going to be uh, an enormous market opportunity. So, I mean, if we just take um, just one sector, like let's say insurance, right? Think of all the coastal cities uh, that are going to be impacted by rising sea levels uh, and superstorms, right? Just from an insurance risk perspective, there's a whole opportunity that you can just focus on insurance, right? And dealing with the impacts of climate change, right? Uh, whether that's assessing critical infrastructure and its resilience to those impacts, or reevaluating uh, housing codes and developing new housing codes and developing new materials and construction uh, methodologies to meet that risk. All of this, I mean, these are just a handful of things that I'm thinking of, like as I sit here, but all of this is an enormous opportunity. Um, opportunities around health, opportunities around um, data aggregation, uh, and new technologies are making, uh, have expanded that scope in a way that is actually really difficult to wrap my mind around. It is a big challenge. Do you see that as a part of like being, like being part? Oh, wait, uh, there, was a, there was a second part to that question. Uh, whether it's helpful to market a entrepreneurial venture in the context of climate change. And I think, I think that's going to be, so the opportunity there for climate change or around climate change is enormous. Um, whether it's helpful to do it as kind of climate change being the, you know, like the marketing hook, it's really going to depend on your sector and kind of the uh, prevailing cultural, you know, respect for science maybe is a blunt way to put it. Uh, so it, it's going to depend. It's going to depend on the place. Uh, I, I just started to say uh, about technologies. You mentioned that when you, whenever you talk with your kids about it, like the damage that is being done to Earth right now, it's not going to reverse itself for another thousand years. So we obviously need some kind of technology to help mitigate uh, and help adapt. Do you see technology as being the core driver or do you see some kind of different ways to, for us humans to adapt to it? For example, like behavioral change. You said something about bad habits and I, I, I'd love to talk about this too, how new habits can spark a change. Yeah, so there's, there's maybe kind of two parts to that. So, uh, so the, the thousand year time frame, that's, that's kind of like a... Um, that's kind of like a rule of thumb that I've read about, uh, where basically if you left the earth to its own devices, um, it would take a thousand years or something for it to reverse itself. Um, technology has technology and like deliberate interventions, uh, have, have some promise, uh, to sequester carbon from the atmosphere, but it's, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen as of today, maybe with one exception, a scalable mass market, um uh business model for carbon sequestration you're talking right? about direct direct carbon capture is that yeah carbon capture right and like turning that carbon capture into a into some method that generates money um i haven't i've been thinking about it i haven't thought of anything and i, I don't i haven't seen maybe with like one exception uh anyone that's like figured out like a clever scalable way to do that whether it's making stuff from the carbon or getting credits for it like it's it's kind of a complicated thing but the technology exists and uh, you know if someone can crack that uh from a business point of view i think it has huge promise um yeah what was the second part of the question Iggy? um <laughs> you lost it too <laughs> yeah i lost it too, no, because i i know the uh, i i'm i know one company that is doing direct air capture and it's called Global Thermostat. I just wanted to ask if you know exactly them, because they they work with Exxon Mobil, and that is a suspicious link to me. Like whenever there is an oil company supporting carbon <laughs> capture. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, this is this is yeah, a it's 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 uh yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from. It's kind of the thing where, um, you know, when you when you work on that type of project with an oil company, uh there's always the suspicion that it's just greenwashing, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's kind of like the credibility gap that oil companies have. 
So you I, know, there's some oil companies that are that are diversifying their holdings, kind of preparing for a you know a, a fossil fuel free future, and they're diversifying into uh, you know uh, batteries for electric vehicles and solar and wind and uh, you know other other types of renewable energy sources and more stable energy sources that you don't have to mine necessarily. But yeah, I mean the credibility gap is is there and it's there for a reason. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is a part of the problem of uh, climate negotiations, right? Uh, it also is about like oil companies taking responsibility for for the stuff that they did. I'm not sure if you want to go into it, but this is a very uh, polarizing topic too. Like, how big of a role of oil companies should have in in a, in a cleanup part right now? Do you because uh, you know from what I heard, from what I read, and I read a lot of Naomi Klein, Naomi Klein, Naomi Klein. <laughs> Klein, it is it is a very um, it is very much about the oil companies paying for what they did, but they don't want to do it, and they are trying to like. Do you have any thoughts on on, on this part? Yeah, I mean, I think they're. I mean, they're, the core business model is around oil, right? And either using it as an input for plastics or for fossil fuels, and um, they are they have a a conflict of interest in replacing themselves and in making themselves obsolete, uh, which was just a fundamental issue. And so here, here we have to kind of look to innovators to uh, uh, find solutions that are alternatives and kind of do things the hard way and the free market way. And it becomes challenging because you know they have, uh, for all intents and purposes, like limitless resources to undermine innovation, uh, especially if it makes them obsolete. And that's that's a a uh, that's a business challenge and a regulatory challenge and uh i think regulators have have a role to play as well which as you said is controversial right it is it is uh and it can also be done uh frankly in a way that uh uses the free market so uh, there's an, at least in the united states i don't know if this is true uh elsewhere but uh uh you know, fossil fuel technologies um, still receive government support and subsidies, whereas yeah. yeah, whereas renewable sources or kind of uh, uh, alternatives to plastics and, and fossil fossil inputs um, aren't receiving those subsidies. So, I mean, if you wanted to uh, make an argument that the kind of incumbent technologies are more cost effective, you know, prove it by removing the subsidies, and we'll see who emerges on top. Do you think? Do you think people just don't? I mean obviously people know this stuff like people who pull the pull the plaques on stuff like this they know the science they know the reality of it they know they're not going to be able to eat money is this like what's going on I, I i literally have no idea why is this taking so long it's been like 30 years of negotiations like everybody knows what's going on and uh <laughs> this is we're getting, yeah. we're, we're, getting, we're, getting we're getting into uh conspiracy conspiracy theories but <laughs> But the point is, I just like, we have a problem, we know solutions, <laughs> let's do it, right? Yeah, that, that's yeah and uh, this is, uh, you know, I think it's going to take a generation really gritty, um, dedicated and motivated and creative social entrepreneurs to, to do it. Like we can't, um, we can't meaningfully rely on incumbents and uh earlier generations and uh you know the existing powers that be to do it for us like it it's gonna take like some new blood innovating ruthlessly and relentlessly and just pushing things to market that's that's what it's gonna take uh like it you know you know i've been um i'm in the united states and i've kind of watched uh the private sector really take up the banner uh, around sustainability and the environment, and not just in the United States, but around the world, because you can't, you know, governments change, and you can't always rely on them to make the right choice. And oftentimes, oftentimes regulators don't know what they're talking about. And so, uh, I keep coming back to this notion that you know, private enterprise can be a powerful force for good, and I'm seeing that happen. I think we are at a unique moment in time. Uh, where information around, uh, you know, omnipresent hazards are, uh, you know, they're they're everywhere. Like people can read about this, and the world wants to save itself. 
mm-hmm. and uh, people are stepping up to the plate to do it. Do you do a lot of hiking, sports? Are, are you an active, active person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to be. <laughs> what, what, what's your poison? What do we? What do you do? Oh well, uh, I really like doing martial arts, uh, actually, uh, and uh, I've been hiking a lot with my with my family too. We just got a dog, and uh, she needs to wow. walk a lot, so we've been with hiking a lot with her and uh, and the kids and my wife. So yeah, I live in uh, I live in Colorado, which is kind of the perfect place for hiking. So we do a lot of that. Nice. I see. I see. I see a lot of that where people who really, you know care about the environment and and work in in the industry of sustainability they they are active people they just have opportunities to to see nature around them all the time and just they they they, they want to take action to it yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that um i don't know that i draw a lot of personal inspiration from nature mm-hmm. which is kind of like a i suppose an unusual thing to say Um, I'd say my my co-founder definitely draws a lot of inspiration from nature, uh, as well as other folks that I that I work with. But I I personally don't like that's like I don't go outside and see like a piece of garbage on the ground and I think man I just got to work harder on trash but like it that, you don't I don't I don't, have, don't. <laughs> I don't have that sequence of thoughts <laughs> like it doesn't it happen like I I just pick it up maybe you know uh, but yeah I I don't. It's not how it works for me. So <laughs> like how, I, how, I, how does it work for you? Where, where do you get into um, I don't know. I think there's just maybe something wrong with my brain. Like I, I've always just been like a, a social entrepreneur. Like if I, this is just what I'm wired to do. It's what I'm always going to be doing. Wow, man. Well, thank you for your service, man. You're really <laughs> helping, helping to change the world, but you know, make it a better place. Uh, listen, let me ask you this. This is a, You're probably not prepared for this, but I'm still going to ask you. If given a chance for 30 seconds of 100% focus of every human on the planet, undivided attention, what would you say? Oh, man. I am not prepared for that. <laughs> what was your first thought? What did you think about it? Hmm. That is a heavy question. Charles is looking sideways. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's there's just a lot of unique problems that we're facing. Um, I think. I think what I would say is that we are facing unprecedented problems in human history around um, our old ways of doing things. And we have hit the limits of our um, uh, of our biology and our natural environment, and we need to start working together um, to kind of address these challenges uh, from a uh, collaborative, uh, trusting point of view. Uh, because there's no, we can't do this individually. We have to work together, uh, and we have to trust each other. Because you can't think for yourself on every topic 100% of the time. We have to be uh, trusting and thoughtful enough to work together uh, and collaboratively. That is that is a hell of a question to spread on me, Iggy. <laughs> yeah, but you made it work. Uni- unity. Yeah, maybe. Unity, maybe. too. Uh, yeah, maybe not unity, but definitely collaboration. I don't know that we need to agree on everything, but we need to be working together. Well, do, you, do you think do you think like changing the way our governments work is this something because there are attempts like united nations uh mm-hmm. there are attempts to like create some kind of unifying body so we can get rid of borders do you see that as a positive thing or do you feel like people need to have like their sense of identity and has it cannot be like Like this is a global. We are on the one globe. We're all humans, and we are divided yeah. into those different teams. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I don't get it personally. Yeah. No. I think I think there's strength in diversity, actually, and um, I think if if we're able to um, channel the you know the positive aspects of these these kind of identities, um, you can get a lot of good that comes from it. Um, I'm not. I don't support like a, a world government. 
I think the potential for abuse and inefficiency and kind of unintended consequences is is too dire. Um, uh, I just see a lot of potential downside. Uh, but I do think that we need to figure out a way to understand the realities of the information age and understand the realities of you know, what I think the, the new age that is kind of dawning on us, which is like the age of artificial intelligence. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is that the West is reckoning with a lot of, um, you know, previously unanticipated weaknesses and like our system of doing things. Um, so AI and social media and, uh, mass information has created kind of pushed us to the limits of our biology intellectually so if you think about it our brains evolved for millions of years right and the amount of information that we would process was uh pre-gutenberg press levels of information pre yeah pre pre books right and in a single day i can i can process more complex information than maybe someone would process up to the age of like 50 in their whole lifetime prior to the Gutenberg press, right? In a single day, it's like overwhelming. And then if you start factoring kind of adversarial AIs and bots that augment the most extreme voices in society, we're, we're at a place where our values and our traditional way of doing things have hit their limitations too. And we're not having conversations around the limitations of our biology, the limitations of our values, the limitations of our political systems. Uh, and we're, we're hitting that wall pretty hard nowadays. And we need to start, um, I think, um, engaging with these limitations in a way that's thoughtful, deliberate, and meaningful um, so that we can manage that noise, which isn't going anywhere, uh, and figure out ways to work more collaboratively with each other in a way that's that's uh, fundamentally more trusting. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it definitely dovetails with kind of the, the, the challenges around governance and democratic self-rule and um, freedom of information and freedom of the press uh, that we value so much in, in kind of Western, in the Western world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That's a long way to say we need to chill out. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I feel I feel like I went off on some wild tangents. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I like I like the I like the limit. I like the limit uh, thing you've said. Because yeah, just when you said that the amount of information you're processing in a single day is something that somebody years ago would process, you know, throughout the entire life. This is exactly what's happening with me sometimes. I would just play free, you know, podcasts at the same time while reading an article mm. while doing a work. And my brain is kind of getting hooked and you know, getting addicted, addicted to the amount of information. I think yeah. I think this is about information at this point. And this project also, it, it is an attempt to kind of control the information that is going out there because I know how powerful information can be as a tool and it can be a you know, it can be used as a weapon. Like people mm -hmm. can be very polarized by a concept that is not true, that is said to not be true, but it exists as a concept. And I think that's really scary that you can have this immense problem, this huge challenge. And just because the information is not put in the right way, you can, you know, do bad stuff to humanity. Just, just, just because that, like, just because the information is not out there, so yeah, I, I think, I think, yeah, I think we are hitting limits too. I, the thing is, you know, what can we do? Like, we are tool-making animal, right? Like, we make technology all the time, and we kind of replicate, and like, we, you know, are you going to Mars? Like, would you go to Mars? Like, is that me? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I, I would. My wife would kill me, but yeah, I'd, I'd be up for that. <laughs> uh, you know, I think about it. I joke about it with my co-founders sometimes. Like, uh, you know, this Mars mission, they start building like a colony and settlements on Mars and the moon and uh, other 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 celestial bodies. They're going to be generating waste, and they, you know, <laughs> I always think they should be they should be starting on the right foot and not make the same mistakes as Earth, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Are you talking with Elon right now about this? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> 
If you know him, I'd love an intro. Oh, of course. <laughs> I'm just going to send an email to him. It's probably... <laughs> <laughs> it might be. That's not a bad guess, actually. <laughs> well, it, I, th I think that's a good observation. I, yeah, I see myself being on a planet, uh, on a different planet, just sometimes in the future. But I, I, I don't know where I heard that, but somebody said that traveling in a, in a spaceship it's kind of like being you know being it's a very cramped up small space that we it is such an incredibly uncomfortable experience and then mm -hmm. you're on a different planet and there's no way out you cannot leave the place there's like you have to go out of the oxygen it's like the i love the idea it's romantic can you can you imagine that you just you know wake up have a coffee are you a coffee drinker yeah Big coffee oh, yeah. drinker. You have a coffee and you know, the Mount Olympus, you don't even see the top of it because it's so big. You did you know that there's like the the, the there's a mountain on Mars. Yeah, the yeah, the peak of Mount Olympus is mm -hmm. the Mount Olympus. It's so big that the curvature of the Mars, like you cannot see the peak when you stand at the bottom of it. Like really? It, it blew my mind. Like how many <laughs> how big is that? How many uh, do you know how many meters or feet? You probably think in meters. You know, yeah, yeah, like Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus. It is, wait, not the Greek one. Mars. It is, I don't know, it is the 22.5 kilometers height. 22? 22 kilometers, which is like... 16 miles wow. that is that, that is what isn't that in feet that is oh wow 73,000 feet <laughs> almost wait, 74 wait so this is the the height of a passenger plane like when a passenger plane flies yeah this is the altitude they have it's tens of thousands of feet yeah wow yeah Jeez. wow that's really high well <laughs> listen uh, how cool would it be how cool would it be to be the first person to scale mount olympus on mars wow on what snowboard skis or like uh no like adventure gear ropes and like ice picks and stuff that'd be cool ice picks you would yeah you would need like a special suit you know like a you'd, yeah you need a special suit on mars anyway right i mean it <laughs> <laughs> well, do, 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 do you think, uh, do you ever like play around with those theories just for fun that the Mars used to be, you know, colonized or something like that? Like, do you ever engage? No, I don't really engage. I mean, it's like, um, I try to be, I try to be like clear headed about, about <laughs> evidence because it's, I mean, it's easy to go down rabbit holes with like, you know, the presence of like, um, extraterrestrial life and, whether it's possible, whether they visited Earth, and it's, um, yeah, they try to go clear, clear-eyed with the evidence. I mean, it's um, like uh, I think it was this year the U.S. Air Force like declassified some like weird images. Oh yeah, that, like, hey, nobody of, gave uh, a damn, right? Nobody gave a damn. <laughs> I mean, it's twenty twenty. Like the world is on fire. <laughs> uh, so I mean, that was weird. Like I, I don't know what that was. It was. Uh, yeah, I, I just seen Bob Lazar on Netflix, and that was it. And that was it for me. Uh, yeah, you're sold. You're sold. There's, uh, there's aliens out there. Well, dude, I don't, know. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Uh, who knows? But listen, do you read anything right now? Any book? Uh, yeah, I'm actually reading. Um, I'm rereading Marcus Aurelius's uh, Meditations. Actually. Oh, I remember you were talking about this. Is yeah. this is this something that calms you down? What kind of setting do you have around you when you read it? Uh, usually, I'm putting the kids to bed or first thing in the morning. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius actually, yeah, it does calm me down. It kind of puts me in a good headspace to deal with uh, with the day's challenges or reflect on the day's challenges. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's my go-to. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I tried to, I tried to read it once, but it was too deep. I mean, I was I was doing audiobook, and the uh, mm -hmm. the voiceover was just too. Yeah, it's. Uh, I find that in general, Stoic literature doesn't lend itself to audiobooks. It's just like too 
too dense. Um, like it, then they speak in circles, right? Because it's number one, they're philosophers from Greece, and number two, it's usually like a translation. Uh, and it's just it's like I, I've tried audiobooks. Like I tried listening to a, an audiobook of uh, Epictetus on the shortness of life. Mm-hmm. Massive waste of time. Like I could not follow it. Yeah. Hey, are you are you a, a biography reader, or do you prefer biographies? Or do you, you don't even read them? Yeah, I like biographies. I like biographies. Um, I've read I've read a couple of memoirs, um, maybe like less than less than twenty memoirs. Um, I prefer biographies. I think. Gotcha. Well, I'm yeah. the opposite. I prefer autobiographies. I think like it's the oh, really? voice. It's the voice. Like yeah. I, I was reading Benjamin Franklin autobiography. I was like I was feeling that dude. Like, but when, yeah. I was I was trying to read the biography of Leonardo da Vinci too much. I was like way too way too heavy way too detailed uh listen yeah that, i think that that kind of is the challenge with the biography it goes into it can really get into the weeds it's like paints the picture you know like who was you yeah. know in the office like what was the policy back then you know what kind of weather was everything else listen i don't want to yeah. keep you too too long it's pretty late for okay. me too but uh there is one other one last question that i want to ask you which is sure you know if people are interested in talking to you or connecting to you how can they reach you yeah, so uh, you can two ways. My email address at Clean Robotics is c a y h a p at cleanrobotics.com, um, and you can also just uh, reach out on our website under the contact us uh, and say that you heard the podcast and you'd like to chat. Gotcha. Do you look for any particular people right now? Do you you know hire right now? Do you need? Uh, actually, that's a great question. So we're looking for a lead software engineer. Uh, full stack preferably um so if you have that skill set we'd love to chat and if you want to work with a fasting impact uh startup it'd be, it'd be great to have you uh and uh also if you think you'd like to implement trash in your facility uh that'd be neat you could talk sales uh and also if you're interested in investing in kind of uh you know what we're building or you'd like to learn more at least uh, happy to chat there absolutely I hope, hope hope there's going to be somebody in the near or the further future. Thank you, Charles. Uh, Thanks, Ziggy. Is there anything else? Any last words? Famous last words? I don't think so. You kind of made me ramble there. Thanks for indulging me. <laughs> no, I love, man. I, I, lo- I love the Mars stuff. And, you know, we, we went on a pretty cool tangent over there. I think there could be a really nice clips. Mm, thanks again. Let's do it sometime in the future. Again, maybe. Sure. Uh, be some kind of development on all yeah yeah this was a blast this was a lot of fun yeah for me too man i I enjoyed that have a great day and talk to you soon all right thanks for having me take care man cheers bye